nothing about the Antichrist. And when I think about him and I think about his uh, treachery and I think about just how cruel he is and I think about all of the people he's going to kill and I think about him controlling the world the way that he does, even commerce. And then I got to thinking about um, those things we talked about this morning uh, that were in there. They're already here, already here. And the technology is already here. In fact, uh, I've been hearing them talk about uh, the Federal Reserve coming up with a digital currency for us. Well, you know that that will enable the government, if they want to and if they're allowed to, to control everything that we do and everything we buy and everything we sell, just like the book of Revelation predicts. We think about... um, how uh, we've been told for years that they will be able to track people and, and uh, that type of thing. You know, um, really with this, they can already do that, can't they? And uh, they look around and they say, oh, the phone, you know, pinged off of this tower and this tower at a certain time. They know where you are, your car. They can get on and they can follow you where you are or find exactly where you are. And <clears throat> my goodness, there are cameras everywhere. And so it's a Kind of a combination of the book of Revelation and also George Orwell in 1984. If you haven't read that, probably should. Or Animal Farm is really good too. If you want to know what totalitarian and socialist uh, type thinking looks like, Animal Farm is the book where the animals are running the farm and the pigs are in control. I'm not sure what he was trying to say about that. But they they control everything. And their uh, motto is, all animals are created equal, but some are more equal than others. Doesn't that sound like today in the world that we live in? And uh, so uh, when we think about that and we look at the Bible, the amazing thing to me is everything that the Bible predicted 2,000 years ago nearly is all heading that direction. And all of the uh, things that uh, were prophesied. It must have made people scratch their heads. How are they going to do that? And uh, yet we live in an age where the technology is really already here and no telling whenever the Lord does come and take us out and the man of sin is revealed what it's going to be like then. It'll certainly be better because uh, we used to measure time uh, when it comes to technology and that kind of thing in years and that type of thing. Now they are saying that uh, they're measuring it more in uh, at the most months and sometimes even days at the way things are rapidly expanding and uh, the way it's increasing. And some of it, like we're using it tonight to broadcast our service over YouTube, and that's a good thing. Uh, and uh, yet at the same time, there's also kind of an evil uh, thing that comes along with it. And so when I read those kind of things, I Think, what hope is there for humanity under this type of system? And, and what can we do? And what will the people do during the tribulation? How can they fight back? And what are they going to do? And what are they going to be able to do? And um, I like reading in Revelation about uh, what Paul said in Second Thessalonians 2, that the Lord's going to destroy him. And it's got to be the Lord because humans won't be able to do it. And uh, the Lord is going to take care of all of that because He is the God who rules and reigns and who is supreme. 
And as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, even now, before the tribulation, it's true today. Our only hope is Jesus, and we can never forget that. It's not Jesus that is depending upon us and hoping we'll do the right thing and get things done for him. It is we who are dependent upon him, and we get that out of order so many times. Now, tonight... Uh, thinking about all of that made me think of a Bible story you've heard since you were a little bitty kid if you were raised in church. And it's a story, of course, about David and Goliath. And I want to look at a certain uh, scripture that has to do with that in 1 Samuel 17 and uh, verse 42 is where we'll start. 1 Samuel 17, 42. And I think most of the time, because we hear this in the nursery and uh, our children's departments about little David and the great big giant. And I always thought about the giant like in Jack and the Beanstalk. And of course he wasn't that big. And uh, he was human and he was, he was a big, big human. And David was uh, pretty young. He wasn't a little boy, probably uh, more like junior high age. But remember, in the Jewish culture, you became a man at 13. So he would have been considered a man and it would not be terribly unusual for him to uh, not be at the battle because he's taking care of his father's sheep. At the same time, it wouldn't be necessarily unusual for him to be in the battle because he uh, was somewhat old enough, even though we might not do that. Uh, that was the way things were back then. You had to grow up fast back in those days or you didn't live. And you had to grow up and, and become a man and be skilled at hunting and fighting and defending and that kind of thing, or you didn't survive. That's what they had to do. They were very tribal back uh, during this time. Now you remember Israel had been under Samuel and um, things were going uh, pretty well. The judges, that was a horrible time. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Some judges were good, some were terrible. Samuel was the last judge. And when uh, he comes to the end of his life, his kids are not very good. And it seems to be kind of a pattern that some of the godliest people you'll find in the Bible had rotten kids. And uh, so if you're struggling with your kids, don't take that completely personal. They're depraved and uh, they make choices and do things like that. And they may rebel against you just like you rebelled uh, as you were growing up probably too. The good, thing, good news is God is bigger than that rebellion. But they didn't want Samuel's kids because they were rotten. And so uh, they said, give us a king like the other nations. Well, that hurt Samuel's feelings. And uh, Samuel was taking it that if they wanted a king, they must be saying that he wasn't any good. You know, when we have presidential elections, that um, when a president serves his or her two terms, I guess it could be a her as well, right? And when they get through, they can't run anymore. So what is the uh, mandate that they have that they, uh, they had a good administration. It's if their vice president or their endorsed candidate gets elected. They always said, for example, that uh, the first President Bush was actually Ronald Reagan's third term because Ronald Reagan was a popular president. And so they considered the fact that George Bush was elected, that was an affirmation of the Reagan presidency. Well, uh, Samuel was feeling that same way. They don't want my sons. They don't want this system. They want a king. They must hate everything that I've done. And God comes to Samuel and says, Samuel, cheer up. 
They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Because at that time, Israel was considered to be a theocracy ruled and reigned by God. Well, when they uh, are looking for a king, they look for a king kind of like we do. Did you know that uh, throughout the majority of uh, American history, the taller of the two candidates wins? Not in every situation, but the vast majority of them. And why is that? Because man looks on the outward appearance. I uh, read a thing not too long ago about the Kennedy-Nixon uh, 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 elections in uh, 1960, the year I was born. And uh, when they had their debate, they're kind of common now, but it was a new thing then, and they put it on television. And Nixon didn't use any makeup. And Kennedy did. And on television, they, they said that people that listened to the, bait, the blah, to the debate on the radio said hands down that Nixon won the debate. The people that watched it on TV said hands down Kennedy won the debate. Why? Because Kennedy looked younger, and he was younger, and he was arrested. His color looked good, even though it was a black and white TV. And Nixon looked tired and old and... Uh, uh, and all of that affected the way the election went, along with a lot of dead people in Chicago voting, too. And uh, I put it in my will that uh, when I die, that my children are to make sure that I don't vote after I do that. I don't, I don't like dead people voting. Uh, they never vote right. They never vote right. So anyway... That's what was happening. They get a king. They get a king that they like. And it says that he was a head taller than everybody else. And his name was, anybody remember? Saul. First king of Israel, Saul. And uh, Saul goes along kind of uh, rocking along with things. And he plays the religious game when it's advantageous. And don't all politicians kind of do that. They love God and love prayer and love Christians when they're campaigning and then uh, tend to forget about it later on. Well, Saul did that. And Saul would obey when it looked good. Saul would obey when it would get him, well, they didn't really have votes, but let's just say it in our uh, way. Whenever it would give him votes or a bump in the polls, then he was, you know, very obedient. Other than that, he kind of lived his own life. And uh, there came a point where you remember he was supposed to attack the Amalekites and God through Samuel said, go and wipe them all out and don't take any of the spoils for yourself. And, uh, you know, Saul just, uh, well, he couldn't waste all those good sheep and so he kept them. Samuel shows up and uh, checks on him and it's kind of a funny thing when they interact and uh, Saul is acting like, you know, good to see you, great, wonderful prophet. Oh, you have blessed us by being here. I'm paraphrasing. And uh, Saul, uh, Samuel goes, uh, Saul, um, you were told to wipe out everything and kill even the animals, the livestock. Uh, did you do that? Oh, praise God, I sure did. God was good to give us that victory. And Samuel goes, then why do I hear the sheep? You know, bah, I, I'm hearing it. Uh, oh, well, we saved the best ones. Uh, the people wanted to do that. You know, uh, kings normally don't care what the people think. But in this case, it was handy. The people wanted to save the best for sacrifice. And that's when Samuel says that famous phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than offering the fat of rams. And you remember then that God told Saul that uh, I've, you've rejected me and not obeyed me. Now I've rejected you as king. And Samuel started to leave. 
And I remember the, the torn robe and everything, and that was symbolic. The kingdom has been torn from your hands. Now, it didn't happen immediately, but uh, it was the pronouncement, Saul, your dynasty will not reign after you. Jonathan has no chance to be on the throne. But I am going to give it to your neighbor. And your neighbor is someone who is after my own heart. That's not saying that David was just better than everybody else. It's saying God was saying after my heart. This is what I have chosen to do. And uh, unbeknownst to Saul. David had already been anointed king. Okay. And David and Saul had a little bit of interaction. You remember that uh, Saul had problems, mental problems, emotional problems. And uh, his advisor said, you know, if we could get somebody really skilled in playing the guitar, the lyre or the harp, uh, man, that would, that would help you so much. And someone said, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy. It's always good when you hear somebody, I know a guy. And uh, your transmission's messed up. Somebody says, I know a guy. You listen to that. And uh, who is he? And they told him who he was. And they brought David in. And it worked. It soothed Saul. And Saul kept him around. And so uh, he kind of had him. But it's kind of funny in this story. Saul sort of acts like he doesn't really know David. And I think it's because he doesn't know him in terms of being a soldier. Or being a warrior. Or being somebody who would be aggressive. He sees him more as a, you know, he's an artsy kind of a musician. A poet. You know, you, you don't really want those guys fighting for you in battle. But David's got a different side to him that Saul has never seen. Now you remember that David would go home and take care of his father's sheep and help him because Jesse was getting old at this point. And the Philistines come along and they attack. And, uh, you know, the, the older boys, all the ones that were passed over to be king, they go to battle and David's doing what? Just that insignificant job of just watching and feeding the stinking sheep. Well, then Jesse says one day, hey, I need you to go check on your brothers. And by the way, take them some sandwiches. You can be a deli and you can take them over there to them and see how they're doing and bring back word as to how things are going. So David goes and he gets somebody to watch the sheep and uh, make sure that they're fed and taken care of. And he goes to the battle. When he goes to the battle, there his brothers are and there are the other uh, men of the armies of Israel. Now they're decked out. They're decked out. They've got all their uniforms. They've got their armor. They've got all of their weapons. They're quite impressive, but they're not doing anything. In fact, uh, it, it says when you read about the whole story that they got together and they had their battle cries and all of that kind of like, you know, cheers at a football game, all ready to go, but nobody's doing anything. Nothing is stepping up on all of that. And David must have wondered, what in the world is going on? I thought you were here to fight a battle. I thought you were here to win a war. And uh, it was kind of a curious thing to him. And then all of a sudden, somebody kind of shows up across the valley. The two armies would face off across about a valley. There's kind of a no man's land in between them. And here comes this guy. And, and David must have thought, good night. That's the biggest person I have ever seen in my life. And you might read in there about just the weight of his armor was astronomical. And uh, there he is. And what is he doing? He starts taunting the uh, armies of Israel, the people of God. You know, aren't you going to come fight? What's the problem? 
You know, send somebody over here, make a deal with you. You know, if you kill me, we'll be your slaves. If I kill you, then you be our slaves, right? And just uh, kind of taunting them. So let's pick up in 1 Samuel or 17, uh, 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and, and good-looking. Too much of a pretty boy to be a fighter. Verse 43 so the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog? And uh, back then they didn't like dogs. Okay, so that was not a compliment. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Not David's gods, but by the false gods of the Philistines. Verse uh, 44. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, by the way, for a Jew, there was nothing worse you could do uh, after killing them than to desecrate their body or leave their body unburied and unmarked. Okay, so when he said, I'll feed your flesh to the wild animals and to the birds, the scavengers, the buzzards, uh, that was to say, uh, nobody's ever going to know who you are or hear from you again. Now, we can kind of laugh at that today. Because uh, we know a whole lot more about David than we do about Goliath. And David is, of course, a hero and legendary in uh, our lives and in our culture. It, uh, nearly everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. And it says in verse 45, David's not going to let that go. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you, by the way, have defied. It's not really about the armies. It's about God, is what David was saying. So he says in verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the, Philist of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Why? Just for revenge? No. Here he says a purpose. That the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's why we're still talking about this all these thousands of years later. And it says, Then all his... Uh, all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword and a spear or normal means. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you and he will give you into our hands. So can you imagine how Goliath reacted to that? This little punk is going to think he's going to kill me. And uh, so it was that when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, he started heading toward that part where they would come together to fight hand to hand. Now look what David did. Unlike the armies of Israel, that David hurried and ran toward the army, meaning the Philistine army, to meet the Philistine. Boy, you've got to admire this kid. Just amazing, isn't he, to be able to do this. Verse 49. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it 
and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, the only place that wasn't protected by armor. He hit it dead on. And Goliath fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over in an act of dominance and defiance over the Philistine, took his own sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it, just like he said. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Well, what would you do? I don't blame them. Get out of Dodge. Man, this is, this is not going the way we thought it was going to go. And as I looked at this story, I thought, how interesting it is that this showdown between David and Goliath has some similarities between the showdown in Revelation and 2 Thessalonians between Christ and the uh, Antichrist, the beast. Now, guess which one is the Antichrist in this story? in kind of a loose way. That would be Goliath, wouldn't it? The one who blasphemed and cursed the God of Israel and cursed David. And who would David be? So many times we hear sermons and we read books and David is like, we're David. We're David. We have these giants in our life and we must kill them and God will enable us to kill them. Well, actually, no, you're not David. You're not uh, that person. Uh, you would be more like the armies of Israel. You and I would be the cowards. We would be the ones. Uh, David is more symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to our aid, who comes and he is the unlikely one that the world looks at and say, there's no power and there's no victory in Jesus like those Christians sing in their silly, stupid little songs. Show me, where, where is he? Why isn't he doing anything? Well, they're going to find out one of these days because he's going to come out of nowhere and uh, he is going to win the victory, which is the thing that uh, kind of struck me out of here. Number one, notice that Goliath came out of nowhere. And I know literally he didn't. He had a mom and a dad, and he had a family, and he came from Gath of the land of the Philistines. But this is the first time he's mentioned in the Bible. It's not like there's this ongoing battle between Goliath and Israel. He just all of a sudden shows up. The Philistines, they had fought them before, but never uh, anyone like this. This guy is intimidating. He is terrorizing them, and he's kind of in control of the whole situation. These are the people of God, the chosen people of God, and these are the armies of the chosen nation of God that marched around a walled city, and on the seventh day, they marched seven times, and they shouted, and uh, what happened? The walls of Jericho fell down. Well, Goliath compared to Jericho, no match. Jericho wins that one every time by human means. And yet they seem to have forgotten the power of God and the blessing of God and what God had called them to do. This Philistine was a Canaanite after all. And God had said, I will give you the land that the Canaanites are in. And yet they're, they're intimidated. They're afraid. They don't want to speak up. 
And you know, I find that there are a lot of people today, Christian people, and a lot of Christian churches, they're afraid to say anything about sin. They're afraid to say anything that goes on in the culture. They're kind of cowardly about things. And uh, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And yet we're not telling the truth when we play that, uh, let's call it what it is, that woke game. We've got to speak the truth in love, but we've got to speak the truth. And so uh, Israel is not real excited about going to battle. So along comes a junior high kid named David, and he also kind of appears out of nowhere, doesn't he? Nobody expected David to come. He was sent by his father. And uh, so when he comes, he looks around and he goes, what's going on here? And uh, why is this guy allowed to say all of that kind of stuff? And nobody is even speaking up. Nobody is going to go in the power of the Lord and withstand this giant. They're all kind of uh, backing down, backing down. Well, the second thing that I notice is that Goliath was arrogant and also blasphemous. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. Come to me, he says, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I mean, he is so full of pride. In fact, um, when you think about this story, there was nobody there that thought David could win except David. Isn't that something? And David didn't go because he said, hey, uh, dudes, I've been practicing with my slingshot here. I believe I can take that guy. And if you guys were as good as I am with a slingshot, you could take him out too. Nobody would have believed that. Nobody would have thought anything about that because David was not trusting in his skill with a slingshot. He was trusting in the blessing and the power of God to sustain him. How different would our life be if we quit being afraid of the world and afraid of their bluster and afraid of their threatenings and afraid of them canceling us, afraid of them doing away with us? What if we really stood strong in the power of the Lord and, and just believed that standing for the truth would be blessed by God, that it would be a blessing upon our land and upon our families? And uh, not only that, but to have the uh, assurance that even when we spoke to someone who would be against us, that God would bless our words as we share his truth to them and break down the walls of their heart and bring them to a place to where they embrace the truth. It's been done before. You ever heard of the Apostle Paul? If there's anybody that didn't want the truth and hated the truth, and uh, boy, one encounter with Jesus changed everything for him. And so uh, we find here that uh, when we think about David and when we think about Goliath and we see him, it, uh, it's kind of a reminder the Antichrist, we find in the book of Daniel, is said to be a boaster and a blasphemer about things. He wants to be dominant and he speaks against the Lord. Kind of a picture here that I see Goliath doing much the same thing. And uh, thirdly, notice that uh, Goliath was... Well, let's just call it what it is, overestimated. He was big, he was loud, he had a lot of bluster, and people sort of, oh, you know, we do that when people are really confident 
We do that when people really uh, kind of dominate things and speak out. We, uh, most of us tend to kind of back down. Well, maybe they're right. Maybe they know what they're talking about. Well, I'm not sure I could stand up against him. But in Goliath's case, it was nothing but just bluster that was coming out. And uh, he seemed bigger than God. I mean, these, after all, are the people of God. But they don't go out and they don't fight and they're not praying. They're not doing anything like that because they look kind of like we do at our culture. We look around and we go, well, the, the liberals own the media. They own all the educational institutions. And uh, they've got all of this stuff. They've got social media and they've got all of these things. Well, who are we and, and what can we do? We're just a few people and we don't have any influence. What in the world can we do? And so we come to the conclusion that the best thing to do is just shut up. Mind your own business. Don't say anything. Don't make anybody mad. Don't try to help anybody. Don't try to get anybody to trust the Lord. We don't want to offend anybody. Just don't make waves. And uh, so we put our heads in the sand and we are silent. Well, that's the culture that was going on here. <coughs> Everybody. From the king, Saul, to uh, the officers in the army, the generals, the captains, the lieutenants, the majors, the colonels. None of them thought that anybody could win or they'd be leading the charge. Why do I say that? Because soldiers like glory. They like victory. They like being winners. They like being decorated. They like being rewarded. In fact, while David is kind of nosing around finding out what's going on, David asked a question that every military man knew the answer to. What shall be done for the man who gets rid of this guy? And uh, so they're told, you, you become the king's son-in-law uh, for one thing. Well, that's a pretty big deal. And, um, you know, when that happens, uh, you know, they all knew. Where were the glory hogs? Where were the people that really wanted to win the battle? Well, none of them did because they overestimated Goliath, just like we overestimate the world and the power of the devil where we live. Don't act like they're sovereign because uh, they are not. We serve the Lord. Now, when you look at uh, 1 Samuel 17 and, and back up to verses 8 and 9, it said, uh, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to uh, draw up for battle? Why are you here? Why are you dressed up? Why do you have your arm? What, what's the point of this? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Notice how he kind of denigrates them and puts them down. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. And you can almost hear him kind of laughing at that, saying, fat chance here. And you can almost hear the soldiers of the armies of Israel going, ooh, that seems to be our destiny if we do. Somebody might have whispered, should we go? Should we go? No, don't, because that's how we're going to end up. You want to be a slave? And they saw nothing but defeat in everything that they did. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and you shall serve us. Now, when David shows up and starts asking, well, what, what's going to happen to the person who, uh, you know, who does this? What, what were they saying? Was everybody going, oh, finally, there's, there's a, a, a kid showed up who's going to take the giant down. Nobody, nobody believed that because they saw uh, Goliath as the ultimate victor. In fact, uh, even David's own brother 
kind of taunted him and rebuked him. In 1 Samuel uh, 17, if you go to verse 28 and 29. Now, uh, Eliab, his eldest brother, uh, when he heard this, what... Uh, was spoken uh, to the he spoke to the men and uh, Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said why have you come down in other words what are you doing here punk and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness big shot big shot shepherd with just a few sheep you know what are you doing here and who do you think you are and he says I know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, this tells you this was part of his life. Listen to this. If you're a younger child, how many times have you said this? What have I done now? Was it not but a word? You know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Oh, whoever said that, that wasn't very honest, was it? They do hurt sometimes, and sometimes you pay for what you say. A good rhyme for you. And uh, that's what's happening. David said, what did I do now? I was just talking to people. What are you so upset about? And even when he went before the king, Saul's estimation of uh, David, of the hero here, it's in chapter 17, verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. And so uh, basically everybody that was talking to him said, David, you're a fool. David, there's no way you can do this. Much like the world speaks to us and looks at us and say, who do you think you are, church? You know, you're just a, a few insignificant people. What can you do? in that and that's all we ever hear you don't have the money you don't have the resources you don't have the talent you can't compete with the world well whoever said we were supposed to our power is not in mimicking hollywood or musical groups or anything like that our power is on our knees when we are trusting in the lord and we are walking in his strength and walking in holiness and uh, so david's faith is uh, not in uh, the things that are around him or in his ability or in his talent. If you look at 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. He didn't deny who he was. He wasn't embarrassed by that at all, was he? And uh, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it, the lamb, out of its, uh, his mouth. And if he rose against me, picture a bear coming up like that. Look what David did. He goes, I grabbed him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David took this personal, didn't he? Okay. Now, the third thing is no one expected Goliath to be defeated. There was nobody there going, yeah, David, we're right behind you. And as soon as you strike him down, we'll get the rest of them. In fact, you kind of get the idea as you read the story that when Goliath fell, Israel was going, oh. And so was uh, Philistia. They're looking and they're going, what just happened here? How in the world did something like this 
take place. And God is still amazing people. He's still saving people that the world would say they'll never be saved. They'll never change. God is still doing that. And God is still working in a mighty way. So we need to trust him. No one expected Goliath to be defeated. And that's the way it's going to be at the end times. No one's going to send at the battle of Armageddon and say this is where he goes down. They're not going to expect that. They're going to expect him to win and to prevail. Now you notice here that uh, when Goliath stood up and started making his way in, David didn't cower. It says he ran to the battle. Oh, would to God that the church of the living God that we would run to our battles instead of running away for our battles from our battles. That we would come and... Um, I can't remember who it was that said, some want to uh, run a mission within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission within a yard of the gates of hell. And oh, that we had that kind of tenacity and we were having that kind of faith that we wanted to be in the tough spots like David did. He ran to the battle. And uh, notice that the defeat of Goliath here that we read about, it wasn't a partially de partial defeat. He wasn't wounded. He wasn't just taken out for a while. This was a total defeat, and God wants us to live in total victory, not just a partial victory, not just a victory while we're at church or when we're around the right people or when other people are looking. It's the kind of thing that we want to be winning a permanent victory and a permanent defeat over uh, the Goliaths that are in the world today. Now, again, going back to what I said before, don't miss the point. You and I are not David. And uh, I'm not the hero, you're not the hero, and we, don't, we dare not put ourselves in the hero's place. The hero is the Lord in this situation as he works through David. And Goliath is not merely your problems, your trials, your sadnesses, your sicknesses, or anything um, he's the Lord's nemesis, standing against the Lord. And when you compare this story to what took place at Calvary, think about the battle on Calvary, on the cross. Sometimes we think Jesus just passively was hanging there, but uh, theologians talk about the cross work of Christ, and we might understand it as the cross war of Christ, as he was fighting a tremendous battle in Colossians 2, 13-15, notice what Paul said in the language he uses. This is battle language. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. Look at this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's battle language. You don't disarm your enemy without a fight. You don't triumph over your enemy without a fight. And Christ was fighting on the cross to win the victory for your soul and mine by paying the penalty for our sin and canceling out everything that the accuser would bring against us. And the Bible says he not only disarmed the demons of hell, but he triumphed over them. Think of David standing over Goliath and uh, in, that, in that act of domination and triumph and the cheer that must have gone up 
from uh, the Israeli army once they uh, got their wits about them to see what had happened and then watching the Philistines run. Can you picture that when you think of Christ saying, It is finished! A cheer came up from the angels. A cheer came up from the saints of God that were already on the other side. And uh, oh, the powers of darkness ran on that because this is the roaring lion as he announces his victory to them. That's a battle. Think about the battle that is to come. On Armageddon, in Revelation 16, 14, it says, For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. You know what's happening? The kings of the earth are coming together to fight a battle. And they're going to fight each other initially and fight against the Antichrist initially. But then something happens while they are gathered for battle. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 19, it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse, that's Jesus, and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Isn't it interesting? Even at the end times, the birds are there, just like Goliath and David both said, the birds are there too. So I see a lot of similarities in all of this as I see uh, paralyzed people that say, what can we do against this champion of the enemy and then there comes out of nowhere a David that no one expects to win lowly Jesus meek and mild and that's what the world thinks about our Lord they don't see him as powerful they don't see him as sovereign they see him as a baby still in a manger they see him as somebody who is weak and pitiful and pathetic and whenever we sing all hail the power of Jesus name they snicker and they go about the things that they're doing because they've got it all in their minds and there's no way they can be defeated and there's no way we can win but enter the Lord Jesus Christ at the battle of Armageddon and all of a sudden everything changes when I was a freshman in high school there uh, came a time when we were in the playoffs and at the end of the game the clock was running down and it went to zero and the Jinx Trojans fans started cheering but they didn't realize the play wasn't dead. And our quarterback threw the ball to uh, our wide receiver in the end zone, and we won the game. And all of a sudden, it got quiet. And then all of a sudden, the cheer came up from the Owasso side. Can't you see this? And can't you see this happening even at the Battle of Armageddon? And as you think about all of this, it was a showdown. And the Bible says that the purpose of David and Goliath was not to teach us how to handle our problems. The purpose of David and Goliath is that the earth might know there is a God in Israel. 
And oh, that we would live our lives to know that through our trials, through our failures, through our fears, through all of the intimidation of the world, why are we in this kind of stuff? Because it's our time to stand up and in the power of the Lord show the earth there is a God in Israel. And it's not you and it's not us and he is the victor. In fact, when you think about it, Israel was toast until David, the little pepsqueak with the little high voice that probably hadn't changed yet. Can you imagine him as Goliath roared at him? And David said, you come against me with a spear and a sword and a javelin? Can you imagine? And then all of a sudden, thunk, and Goliath falls, and then everything changed. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when a sword comes out of the mouth of our Savior to destroy the beast and the false prophet, and win the final victory over the devil and all of his demons and everything he has planned, and to see them cast into the lake of fire forever because our God has already won the battle because nothing can defeat our God. Can you say amen to that? And so when you uh, look at your life and you look at this story, this is a showdown between good and evil. This is a showdown between Christ and the Antichrist. This is a showdown between God and Satan. And look who won. And he did it without even having a sword because our God doesn't use the weapons of our earthly warfare because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and may I add the pulling down of giants as well so when you sing victory in jesus think of this story and when you start thinking about all the things that are going on in this world and you wonder sometimes is it going to be all right oh yes it is because david slew goliath in the power of the lord and christ is going to destroy everything that has come up against him and the victory will be in our lord jesus christ so trust him Rest in Him and remember where the victory lies and where your power lies. Not in you, not in your numbers, not in your talent, not in your money, not in your influence, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we pray together? Lord, as we think about this story, uh, it's more than just a cute little kid story. This is the showdown against the Philistines and their gods and Israel and their true and living God. And you defeated their giant, somebody that they had never had anything like that. Their nuclear bomb, so to speak. And then you bring in a, a little pipsqueak shepherd out of the fields, just coming to bring sandwiches to his brothers. And he is aghast that the armies of the living God are not standing up. They're not speaking up. They're not suited up. They're not ready for everything, for the battle there. And they're taunted by Goliath. And they're intimidated and they back down. Would you forgive us when we do the same thing in our lives and in our culture today? Help us to be kind and loving. Help us to be the kind of people we ought to be. But at the same time, don't let us fail to be bold and to recognize where the power really is. Use us like you use David. But remind us that David really is the representative of Christ. And the only victory we have is Christ Jesus in 
and through us and through our lives. And nobody else may believe it. Nobody else may think we have a shot, that we have a chance. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And forgive us when we took our tail between our legs. Forgive us when we get intimidated by all of the things around us. And forgive us when we don't stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And may we uh, have a glimpse of all of this in everyday life, the victories we win. May they be just a foretaste of the victory you're going to win at the Battle of Armageddon. And we pray all of this because we love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you.